Welcome, everyone, to our Every Other Thursday podcast, where we cover the wide world of food service and hospitality. Our hosts cover both the relevant news of the moment and we invite key industry experts in for conversations that are informative, enlightening, and entertaining. Every Other Thursday is an approximately 40 to 50 minute conversation presented bi weekly by Tabletop Journal. Now, here's your host of Every Other Thursday, Dave Turner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Every Other Thursday. I want to welcome you to our bi-weekly podcast. This is episode number 30 of Every Other Thursday, and it's being recorded the week of December 31st, 2020. It's New Year's Eve, guys. How about that? I'm Dave. I'm your host here at Every Other Thursday, and this week I'm right here back with our usual gang, Jay Alley and Greg Kirish. Gentlemen, welcome, and Happy New Year. Happy, Happy New, New Year to you. Yeah, how are you guys doing? Okay, you got through the holiday all, yeah. all well and all that. A okay, counting my blessings. Counting my blessings, yeah. just like sheep counting sheep <laughs> and going to sleep. It's our final podcast this year. Is that, that that's impressive, guys? Huh? We've been doing this now for a long time. This is our episode number thirty, and we do it biweekly. So this is sixty weeks, wow. more than a year's worth, and we're still talking to each other. That's even the better sign, right there. We should send twenty twenty out with a bang. No pun intended. No pun intended. Folks who are listening to this, you should have heard the preamble before we get on air today. It was all about firearms and ammo and all that. We'll have a, Jay, we'll bring you back to have a special episode on firearms instruction, a behind the scenes look at what Jay Allen's really like in his spare time. How about that? I see nothing. No, no I comment. See nothing. No comment. <laughs> All I know is, if I'm breaking into a house in York, Pennsylvania, it isn't going to be Jay Alley's house. <laughs> no, you don't want to do that. So today, as we head into 2021, I thought we'd take a, a little bit of a look back. And we had some great things happen to every other Thursday here on every other Thursday uh, this year. And I also want to take, talk about some of the guests we had. We had some phenomenal guests, starting with Bob Golden in July. I mean, that, he, Bob really kicked it off and set a, set a really high bar and a tone. And I'm really grateful for Bob for doing that. He's awesome. We need to get him back in here, as a matter of fact. I was thinking about that the other day. All the guests we need to get back. They're all, they were all, all great. All the guests are. You know what? Yeah. I feel like I'm getting to be a part of this cool club of uh, great thought leaders in our industry. And we're going to talk about some of the things that the guests brought to us, because I learned a lot from all our guests, and I think our listeners did as well. But we've really evolved a lot. And again, it's just a it's a podcast that goes out every other week. I'm pretty happy with the way the years rolled out, uh, at least in terms of the way we brought the podcast together. Uh, there's been a lot to talk about in our industry, obviously. And I think that's really good. But I also want to take a look in this podcast, since it's, we're on New Year's Eve right now, and it's the eve of 2021, I also want to take a look at what you guys' thoughts are for the coming year. A couple of thoughts of what you think big picture things will. We've had some prognostications on here. Nancy Cruz was on here, and she was awesome. And we talked about Michael Whiteman before. He had some good predictions. But I want to get your thoughts as well. So and hopefully you guys are ready to do that. You all set for that? All ready. Let Greg go first. <laughs> all right. But first of all, before we get started on all that goodness, got a couple of business things to get rid of. As always, we need to get some of that out of the way right now. And this week, just like every other week of every other Thursday, we're brought to you by Tabletop Journal. Tabletop Journal is where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of hospitality tabletop. So that's our business. Get that out of the way. And let's get this year-ending episode of every other Thursday started. 
Okay, guys, tell me about your thoughts looking back over uh, the year of 2020. Greg, maybe you can give, you can start it off, but wh- what are your thoughts when you look back at the, the year of 2020? What are some of the highlights, or maybe even the lowlights for that matter, of what you think happened with our podcast? In the industry, too, I want to say. In the industry, a lot going on in our industry, by the way. Right, that, you know, that it's evolving and that we, you know, we did a lot of pivoting. If you go way back... Uh, to our beginnings, we were like totally focused on tabletop products, and that's where our roots and our DNA still still is. But you know, we've we've really expanded much more. And I think that uh, I hope we're relevant to you know all all forms of restaurateurs and operators and chefs and anybody involved, actually middlemen and involved in all aspects of food service. We you know we're bringing in guests that really have great insights. They're real thought leaders. And I really encourage people to take a look at our episodes and go back because this is stuff that, you know, even though we might've talked to somebody six, seven, eight, nine months ago, it's still really relevant and it's going to remain relevant. You know, that's, that's one of the things that I really like about the podcast format. Even people that are just discovering us for the first time can go back and listen to Bob Golden's episode in July. And I don't mean to pick on Bob, but Bob has really a good view of our entire industry. And that's such a great episode. And if you're just discovering every other Thursday, and we have a lot of new listeners every week, I think those things are as relevant today as as any other time. I mean, uh, they're evergreen, for that matter. Absolutely. And then, you know, and, and things like, you know, Madeline Trafon talking about choosing stemware, that is, might not be as relevant absolutely today on, on January 1, but it's going to be very soon for a lot of people. And so these are all things that, you know, it's great to listen to, to be reminded of, and to have in your back pocket. And how about Philip Preston coming on and talking about polyscience and how that all got going and what some of the cool things that they're doing? They were, I mean, that stuff was so above my pay grade. But I, I think that for, if I'm a chef listening to every other Thursday for the first time, that's got to be one of the great episodes to go back and listen to a guy like Philip Preston, who's really, I, I don't even know how to describe him. He's a scientific guru, the guru of all cooling and temperature control and all that. Well, that's, you know, that's a great segue because... The one thing that's for sure is food service is going to change. It's going to be survival, as it always is, a survival of the fittest. You know, who can supply, make a profit, meeting guest expectations and needs. And somebody like Philip comes in with all these, for lack of a better term, new age, high tech ideas. Well, people who are going to embrace those are going to, you know, in many cases, going to be the winners. Yep. I think so. And Jay, you're a storyteller and a sales guy. And I think about the episode with Larry Deutsch. Larry is such a great storyteller and talks about branding and marketing and all that. Got to be a lot of takeaways there for a lot of food service people, whether you're on the, the, in the supply chain side, the manufacturer side, or even if you're trying to market your restaurant, that storytelling aspect. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, just listening to what you guys have just been briefly chatting about. I mean, it's all, it's really exciting. And the guests were great. I guess the good part about it is if things start breaking loose a little bit more in 2021, which they have to, this, this random shutdown, and the politics side of that whole thing. I mean, it's just ridiculous, but everybody needs to go back to the first podcast and, and listen all the way through again, because how many of those ideas couldn't even be tested or tried because everybody's closed, you know? So, we're going to have a lot of material to pick off of uh, every other Thursday when 2021 starts, as soon as things start loosening up, because then people who listen to something that caught their attention, they want to give it a whirl, they'll they'll be able to do that. You know, you look at today, what, what can you do? You know, I'm not to be doom and gloom, but there's not much going on. 
Well, I, I don't want to be Pollyanna, but I'm very optimistic about 2021. Things aren't going to happen overnight. When you look at food service, I think there's going to be a lot of very positive changes. There's going to be a lot of growth, especially towards the end of the year, once we get a handle on things. The point is, is that it's going to be different. And we don't know exactly what's going to happen. So uh, in terms of technologies and everything, but a lot of things are going to remain the same, the big picture. If you listen to like Nancy Cruz, guests are going to want the same things. They're going to remain fickle. They want flavor impact. They're looking for healthy choices. They're uh, looking for, you know, all these different things. And so what cuisine is going to emerge is going to be interesting. What technology to provide it, to cook it, is going to be interesting. It's going to be a, a, a very fascinating time. And of course, there's it's sad there's going to be losers, but there's going to be a lot of winners too. Greg, you used a word a few, a few minutes ago, uh, pivot. Uh, we've pivoted here on every other Thursday. But I, I look at somebody like Reiner Zingraba spent his whole career to date with Marriott, doing some phenomenal things with Marriott. And now he pivots and goes off and does his own thing. And and I got to tell you, just from watching him on social media, uh, you, get, you get the feeling that here's a guy who's really working hard at preparing for that, that coming boom that we all think will happen. And he's taking advantage of some of this downtime, if you want to call it that, in food service to sort of prep his new business. And uh, I, I got to tell you, just from the general reaction from that episode with Reiner, that was one of the most uh, reacted to podcasts that we had all year. And I think that tells me that there's a lot of people, first of all, that respect Reiner and his experience, but also they're looking for ideas too, to take away nuggets of information. And that made me feel good that because he gave some very specific things that chefs and operators in general and he he brought up some very good points. One of them that I, that I remember was is that I made the comment that there were some marginal operators out there and they probably needed to go away. And he said that wasn't the case in his mind, as I recall, that he wanted, uh, he thought that there were some people that had good ideas, but just weren't great necessarily at execution and, and some of those operators. But he gave some great tips in that particular segment. The two things that I also took away from that, from his segment was that Look, a lot of the things that we thought were going to go away aren't going to go away. They're just going to change. So, for example, he says, if you have a large resort, you cannot feed thousands of people unless you have some sort of buffet. Now, is the buffet going to be the same way that it was before the pandemic? Probably not. There's going to be changes, but you have to have that. Otherwise, you just can't feed that many people. And the other thing that he said, and I think that Nancy Cruz stood behind is that fine dining is here to stay. It's just that it's going to be changed. It's not going to be the starch white linen tablecloths that we have in our mind, perhaps. But what it means is it's going to be really good, high quality ingredients executed very well. And that's fine dining, you know. So there's going to be a lot of opportunities. The world is going to be changed, but in many ways, it's going to be the same. You know, I think it's going to be more the same than, than change next year. I don't think, I mean, I think when we talk to, to the folks at like Rhino with, with the Marriott experiences, the, the, these folks that deal with big situations, whatever they are, I think the downside of what's happened, in my opinion, I'm just, my, just my opinion probably means nothing, but you, you got restaurateurs and hoteliers that have all this equipment, all this flatware, all this china, all this crystal. And I don't think, unless something dramatically happens pretty quickly, which it's got to happen, we get these places open. It's not that they won't want to do different things. It's just 
if you can produce good food that, that tastes great, serve properly, good service, and you're still only serving at 40, 50% capacity, whether or not, the other question is, once they open it up, until the vaccines take place, how much are people going to jump in their car and go travel? I don't think they're going to jump in their car and go, let's go on a on a vacation for two weeks and we're going to stay in hotels all around all around our trip. That's to be seen. I, it scares me what might happen there. I don't I mean, this pent up demand for getting out. I mean, we were talking yesterday, Sandy and I were talking about the first time we've ever really felt housebound. Because before you could say, hey, let's let's just go for lunch or let's go for happy hour, do whatever. It's so different today. I, I don't know how many new things can be embraced and tried. Maybe 2022. I don't know. I think people are going to tiptoe out and sort of check out the landscape a little bit and see how they feel. But I do think that, you know, we've talked about it many, many times, is that people are generally hardwired to connect with other people. And I, I think that we'll get there. It's just going to go, people are going to find their own pace. And yes, there are, Greg, to your point earlier, there are going to be some operators who aren't around anymore. Let's leave it like that. But the ones who are, they're going to be successful. And the ones who do it right, make people feel safe, keep things simple. I think in the beginning, things need to be simple. But yeah, I think it'll get there. And, it, and it's probably a back half of 21. I, I don't know. We'll get into that in the second segment. But I really think that people are starved for that. And I'll give you uh, some thoughts. I've had some conversations lately about with people who obviously, like you guys, have their fingers on a lot of pulse uh, of our industry and talking about there's a heavy feeling, particularly maybe it's the holidays, maybe it's whatever, but a heavy feeling as we've sort of finished up the year for a lot of people. And I think that comes out of being most people being locked down. And I know we're not locked down in Florida. We're not locked really down in Texas like other places. But generally speaking, people all over the world are locked down and that, that weighs on people. So I think there is this pent up demand. One of the areas that I think that uh, I'm going to be really interested. And we had Chris Kurtz on, and Chris was a, was a, is a young guy, talked about cocktails and everything. And I really, in the coming year, I want us to get more into that wine, spirits, cocktail kind of uh, genre and get more experts, more thought leaders in that area too, because I really enjoy that. That's a very different field and then the general food service thing. I think that's going to be an area that explodes too. And one of the things I think we're going to, and I, and I don't want to get into the predictions, but but here's one in specific to that cocktail thing. I think we're going to see more low alcohol and no alcohol cocktails. I, I just have that feeling coming. We've been talking about it on Seat Yourself. And I really think that that's going to be a coming phase that, that's going to stay with us for a long time. Well, you know, this is a good opportunity here at the beginning of the year, and we're looking backwards and forwards for our, our listeners. So I, I really encourage people to let us know what you want us to talk about and what you want us, what kind of guests you want, and what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong in this whole thing. You know, I think that the whole thing about cocktails and alcohol and it's is just a great idea for us to talk about and focus on. Let let us know if you agree. Yeah, we'd love to have drinks on here every time, every weekend while we're recording the podcast. That'd be great. One of the things that'll be interesting <laughs> to find out, I, I think the craft cocktail business is you go to a place like the time, Dave, we, we were in Chicago and we went to that fancy place that was up high over a hospital. And we went and had a great cocktail before we went. Green River. Danny, Danny, uh, Danny Meyer. Danny Meyer's place. But you can't, you know, half of the fun of going out having having a, an expensive cocktail is because you're sitting there and you're out with two or three friends or whatever it is, and then you're getting ready to go to dinner after you've had a cocktail or whatever. That, I mean, that's going to just destroyed everything. I mean, it's like when our restaurants were open, we went down to have have a dinner and you know, to just order a, a fancy cocktail at the table and have we just ordered the meal and a glass of wine. I wonder how much that part of the business has gotten 
impacted. If it isn't one of the most impacted parts of it. I don't know. But we haven't taken the alcohol out, so I, I, you have the guy that disagrees with that. <laughs> Why bother? Well, I, th- I, th- I think this whole idea of cocktails and, and their persona that goes with it and, and all that, I think is really interesting. And uh, Chris Kiritz, uh, again, he and his teammates developed an app similar to Vivino, but specifically uh, cocktail focused called Sidecar. And if our listeners haven't checked out Chris's new app, Sidecar, they really should. It's a lot of fun and, and it really kind of, uh, it's a different look at cocktails. And I, I think with cocktails continuing to grow, I think it also speaks to the glassware manufacturers. I think glassware manufacturers have to be creative in uh, what they bring in terms of designs and styles and, and all that. And I and I think we'll see some of that. I know glassware manufacturers have been hit pretty hard this past year. Nonetheless, I think the future uh, for cocktails is pretty bright. And those that respond well to that in terms of design and all that will we'll do well in the glassware end. Dave, you were talking just before the cocktails about in things becoming simple in general. And one thing that I remember from uh, Philip Preston that kind of struck home was he was in a uh, small operation, and I believe it was in Philly, it was Vietnamese theme, and the only cooking equipment they had was they had eight, if I recall the number correctly, eight sous vide baths. And that's all they had and they were running the entire little operation on that and they were producing banh mi sandwiches and Vietnamese street food to go. So that's the kind of thing that I think that we covered. And I think that's very, very exciting looking forward. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I, I, one last guest that I want to uh, bring up because it was so different. And there, were, there, was, there was this aha moment for me in that. And that was when we had David Kramer on. And the issue for me going forward, and at least in the near term uh, in the food service businesses, where have the employees of all these restaurants gone? Where have the chefs and the sous chefs and, and the line chefs, where are they all gone? And they've probably gone off to other businesses, whatever. And, and so when you look to the future, where's the, where's the labor component going to come from? And David Kramer uh, came on and was, I thought, really articulate and really, he shared a passion for instructing and leading others. And I was stunned when he told me that he was getting students from Ghana. And I said, how the heck do I get to, uh, you know, you know, the suburbs of Chicago to go to culinary school if I'm in Ghana? And he had a whole plan for that. And, and I think that that's true. And I think we're going to have all the resources we need. It's just going to look a little different and it's going to come from different areas. And it's true whether you're talking about labor, whether you're talking about menu concepts, whether you're talking about uh, just a general food service business at all. It's, it's going to look a little different, but it's always going to be that connecting with other people. We need to talk to him shortly, maybe maybe get him back sometime in the first quarter, because I think part of that conversation was how much is the educational machine going to get impacted? I think they're going to have a hard time getting students to come and sign up to take serious culinary courses. I think pretty comfortable, but that was, of course, that was back a few months. That's true. Well, he, he might not be impacted as much because his the prices to go through his school are phenomenally affordable. Prices to go through some of the others we talked about are not. It's a big number. And I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what happens to the big guys. Well, the sell, sell job, to, to Dave's point, that that somebody like he probably has to make right now is, yeah, things are, are bleak and they're tough in food service right now. but And then labor has now gone into other things. So you're looking six months, 12 months, whatever it might be in the future. All of a sudden, there's going to be great opportunities to fill to fill those slots. So now is the time to go to school, you know. But people don't think that way, you know. Yeah, and one and one of the things that impressed me most about David Kramer was 
his passion for teaching and leading and, and creating that next generation of culinary leaders. I, I think that he's an incredible salesperson and I'm sure he's a great teacher as well of culinary uh, skills. Anybody that would team up with him and go to school at his, uh, at his place, just an amazing guy. And, and definitely, Jay, it's a good idea to have him back and sort of give us an update. All these people. The thing I liked about him is he was a lot like Madeline, even though they're in two different fields. You got the feeling that there's no question that you could ask him that, that that would be considered a dumb question. I mean, he just can start at any level you want to talk about it, make you feel good that you asked the question. And that's critically important, especially for students who are trying to learn. To me, the worst thing in the world could be if a student asks you a question and make them feel bad, you're never going to get another question. And what a pro he was. He, The day that we had him on, he had some people call out sick, and he, he showed up, did their job, and then came did our podcast. And you would never have known, and, and, and I didn't know it, frankly, while we were going. He filled in the classroom, right? Yeah, he, he yeah. Picked yeah. Up so he was doing double duty, and then he came and did a podcast, which he could have easily said, hey, guys, I can't do this today. Can we reschedule? And, and we would have done that. But David Kramer, what a pro. So, all right, listen, uh, we're going to take a break right now and I want to come back and I want to talk about what you guys think, get some predictions out of you guys uh, on what's going to happen in the coming year in the food service business, what your general thoughts are, and maybe some specifics on uh, when, where, and how. How about that? Great. We'll be right back with more of Every Other Thursday. Stay with us. This episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than nine years now, Tabletop Journal has been covering the food service and hospitality industry, all the while raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. If you haven't signed up for Tabletop Journal's bi-monthly newsletter, it's simple and easy, and it's free. Simply go to tabletopjournalnewsletter.com. Now, back to our podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to segment two of Every Other Thursday. Uh, I'm Dave. I'm here with Greg, Mr. Greg and Mr. Jay today, my colleagues who are here with me each and every week. We're all fortunate enough to be together. And this is our season ending, our 2020 final. It's New Year's Eve. We're here. We're talking about our great guests and the evolution of the podcast in the first segment. Awesome. And now we want to talk a little bit about the, what 2021 will bring. But before we do that, in the break, just so our listeners know, a lot of good stuff happens in the break, and we should do the outtakes on that someday. But today today was a little different because we were talking about everybody that's been touched in some way or challenged in, in, through 2020, the past year, the pandemic. And people are challenged in ways, and I don't know anybody in our industry that isn't economically, isn't uh, challenged with death or sickness in their family or close friends. And it's a heavy load for people to carry. And uh, I don't know what you guys, you guys want to weigh in on that. Uh, because I just think that we're all looking forward to a new year and a new beginning, if you will. But I, I think it's not going to be that easy. What do you think? I agree, I agree with you. Yeah, it's, it, it's interesting. In our family, uh, my, my wife just lost her mother a month or two, a month and a half ago. She was 96, 97 years old. Lived a great that wasn't COVID-related, though, right? No, no, thank God. And the, 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 the worst, you know, we're talking about people losing folks, and we all know some who have done with this. There's been two situations that we've been involved with. One was my wife's mom, who she was able to, along with her sister, give her in-home care until she passed. So she passed in her own bed, ne never had to face her worst fear, which was going into a nursing home. And, and of course, then, bang, oh, nobody can see you. So terrible that, that it happened, but you know, a lot of gratification. They were able to take care of her, make her comfortable. It was, it was as good as it could get. Another side of the coin is a friend of ours who we're all, we all play tennis with. 
got divorced, married a younger woman. I think she was maybe 15, 18 years younger than her. Happy as a clam. I, mean, I think it was, it was just one of those things where they, it was meant to be. So anyway, long story short, about two months ago, she falls down in the condo, tripped over herself, broke a hip, put her in a hospital. He can't go. Now, this wasn't a 90-year-old. This woman was probably in her mid, early 50s, pretty, pretty good shape. End of story, uh, I think it was a medication issue that was part of the problem. But four days later, she dies. Yep. And he never got to see her. This is a small community, so you know a lot of people, you know doctors, you know politicians, whatever it is. Couldn't couldn't get in to see her. And to see what that did to him, I, you know, I can't even imagine. It's one thing to lose a loved one. It's another thing never to get to say goodbye. Yeah. The listeners of uh, our other podcast, Seat Yourself, will know that this week's uh, podcast, the one that uh, aired last Monday, was all about gratitude in the face of great challenge. And I think that we all have so many things to be grateful for. And it's really, really tough to remember that when you're going through a year like we've been through, whether you're economically challenged, we lost your job, lost your identity, whatever, or you've lost a loved one or a close friend. And uh, it's been a tough year. But I, but I still think we all have lots to be grateful for. And one of the things I'm grateful for is to be participating in this industry called hospitality. It's really amazing industry. Some incredible, resilient, and creative people in this industry. But how you can touch lives, Jay? You sell you sell wine glasses, and you and and I, and I know you're you're really wonky about the glasses. You know everything about glassware, everything. But to me, what you really sell is smiles on people's faces and happiness. And and, and it goes from everywhere from the consumers who sit in the restaurants and drink out of social glassware to the operators who are glad that they chose it because it stands up, it's durable, and all that stuff. We don't, we don't talk a lot about social. By, by design. We don't want this to be a disposal thing. But the reality is, is that all of us, whether you're a dinnerware company, a glassware company, a flatware company, whatever, or, or an ingredient company. Greg, you work for a bunch of ingredient companies, coffee companies. Think about all the pleasure that this industry brings to, to the guests in for, first and foremost. And not to mention, I mean, the economic part of it is, is huge, obviously, the economic impact, but also the cultural and, the, and the, the impact on the social fabric of not just our country, but countries all over the world. That's why I think that I agree with a lot of people that are predicting the coming roaring 20s. Once we get this secure and behind us, this being the pandemic, and people start, you know, the comeback, I think there's, and it's not going to be just, you know, in the initial reaction of people, you know, getting out, I think that it's, it's, it's going to be, I think there's going to be a real gratitude for being able to get out and uh, explore. And I think that's going to be a, a bigger factor than ever in, in our culture and society. People can remember and look forward. Yeah. We talked about Nancy Cruz in the first segment and how great she was as a guest and all that. She brought up that that one point that uh, Data Essentials, I think it was, that they did a survey and what are the, once the vaccine and everybody, we can go back to pre-COVID behaviors and all that. What are the things that you want to do first? And number one was to hug somebody, hug a family member or a friend, a close friend. And the second one was to dine in a restaurant. And to me, both of those are extremely related. They're connection kinds of activities. I think you're going to find that a lot of people are much more appreciative, and I hope it lasts for a long, long time, the, of what the restaurant and hospitality business brings to our society. So there's a lot of silver linings, but that's certainly one of them in the, in the pandemic. And so it's important for a person that is working in a restaurant, you know, and whether it's front of the house or back of the house, that they know how important they are in that whole hospitality equation, you know. 
Yeah, I think we're finding out how important dishwashers are, busboys are, all that. Everybody from the lowest rung on the ladder all the way up to the top. It's a critical industry, and the people in it are really uh, needed in our society. Well, I'll tell you, we were talking earlier about, you know, everybody's been touched by somebody who passed away or something that happened. I come from a, a French-Canadian background. Our families are huge. Both both sides of the family had 13 and 14 children apiece. So the family tree is like a weeping willow. <laughs> it's huge. One of the things that was a tradition that, um, on both sides of our family, on the alleys and on the Valancourt sides, is when someone passed, because they were all located pretty much in the Fall River Mass, New Bedford Mass, Taunton, Massachusetts area. So it's a huge amount of people that you don't get to see very much. And you know, you all heard people say, well, we got to get to more. The only time we get together is at funerals. Well, traditionally in our family, someone like when my dad passed away, it was a shock. He died. He was 67 years old, never sick a day in his life, you know, any of that. And part of that whole process of, of grieving and celebrating someone's life is we go to this place on what Tupapon called White's. And it's been family-style restaurant that got into the banquet business, wedding business. They own two hotels near the property. It's a big situation now. But our whole family would gather there, and you'd get 50, 60, 100 people in after the funeral to sit and and just commiserate with each other because everybody loved, loved the person in varying degrees that we were just at the cemetery. And when I think back about that, I go, if you couldn't do that, I mean, it was it was great because it went from tears to everybody saying what a great guy your dad was, Jay, and yada, 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 and everybody commiserating. It was really, I think about it a lot. It was an amazing thing you can't do now. It's very hard on people. Like I said, when I, we started this uh, second segment today, is that uh, when when people are sick or in the hospital or whatever, or in senior living or nursing homes, it's very, very tough when they pass away or, or just in general when they're sick and no visitors, no nothing. And I think that's one of the hardest things about the past nine or 10 months has been is when somebody's having difficulties and challenges, it's, you can't be close to them. Yeah, it's hard on people. Just to have that emotional support was it gets yep. you through it, and you, you don't really, I don't even both think ways, you both ways for the patient and for yeah. uh, until you can't do it, you don't realize how valuable it was. Yeah, and I think that's going to be a silver lining as we all going to. I was gr- really gratified to hear Nancy express it very research or related terms that you know number two thing was to dine in a restaurant, but the number one was to hug a family member or a friend, a close friend, and that was good. So, okay, let's get into some of your predictions. Greg, I'm going to ask you to go first. Give me one thing that you think is definitely going to happen in 2021 within our industry. Give me a prediction there. You, you've listened to Nancy. You, you, we talked about Michael Whiteman, great predictions. What about Greg Kirsch? What's Greg got it to say? What? Give me a hint what's going to happen kind of thing. Well, I, I don't think it's a surprise. We, we talk about it constantly, uh, but it's, I think we are going to see this explosion of small, very streamlined, limited menu operations, brick and mortar, as opposed to food trucks. And not that food trucks are going away, but I think these are brick and mortar places and, 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 and along those lines, food halls. You know, once we can start bumping into each other and eating in, in mass, you know, it just feeds in, if you pardon the pun, to all the things that we are talking about that people want. They want to be with people. They want variety. They want affordability. They want and limited investment from operators. And so you got the two sides of the equation where people are trying to get employed again, make some money. On the other side, people have the demand. So I think there's going to be an explosion 
of these type of things in food service, probably towards the end of the year. Yeah, that, that's what I was just going to ask you. Do you get any feel for the timing, what you think the timing will be? Well, I mean, I would love that it would happen here on January 2nd, but the reality is it's going to take time to get the uh, pandemic under control, you know, and to get some uh, momentum going again on the operator side. Now, with that with that in mind, and knowing your background as having worked for the National Restaurant Association many years ago, and that show, the chances of that show being live this year, what do you what do you think? I, I know it's still on for May right now, but what do you think? Well, I, like I've said, I've said before that I'm a big proponent of trade shows and events, and I wish them well. But I think that May is just too ambitious. People, the mindset's not there, and and, and I don't know, I don't know that the, their financial numbers, but it just I don't think it's a good business decision. I would think that 2022 would be an explosive year for them. But uh, I don't know how well they can weather the storm until then. Jay, you've been an exhibitor for a lot of the shows and been involved in the show for a lot of years. What are your thoughts on uh, a live show at McCormick in May? Uh, Would you attend? Probably, but I think the problem is not if we'll attend as suppliers. I think the problem may be you, if you spend all that money and operators don't show up. I don't know. To have it just to have it, it's a lot of money. And so also from the supply side, I think that we keep on talking about there's going to be new things, new ideas, new inventions, new concepts coming down the road to help this new world of food service. And I think it's too – it just doesn't happen that fast. You think you can do it safely because, I mean, it's a big space and all of that. It's going to take a year for these things, for suppliers to have these products. I have a question. Is there anything we can find out what restaurant organization was – the highest performing operation in the country during this whole shutdown thing? I'm sure it'd be fast food. I predict that Chick-fil-A's business will slow down because it cannot get any better. <laughs> I, I wish that we could have set a camera. There's a Chick-fil-A in York. I don't know if we got more than one. I, I, I don't know. Greg, just so you know, we were set up for that question. Oh, okay. Okay. No, seriously. We, we could buy it when this thing first started. Oh, look, they're really busy. They had to work with the Walmart people to cone, it's in, it's in a goofy spot. They really do not have enough room, maybe under reasonable operating conditions it would have been okay. But now to get in line to get takeout food at this Chick-fil-A, you have to turn into a Home Home Depot, go down past a, a Walmart store that's got, that had a huge parking lot, so that being a little slow in the garden center. So they, they gave them some space because you couldn't get in. It was getting dangerous. And, of course, you think, okay, it's 2 o'clock. It never stops. So I don't know if they could do any more volume. I mean, I'd love to know how that how that organization's performed. It's got to be sounds like a time for a price increase. <laughs> oh my God! Well, congratulations to them for their you know for their success. But at the end of the day, there's a finite number of food or food service dollars, and Chick Fil A supplied them a product of the quality that they were looking for and the variety they were looking for. Well, I think they're going to want change. And more variety going forward. So it's it's serving their need today, guests need. But I think you're you're right. I think they're gonna be spending their money someplace else. I don't yeah, I mean I was being facetious when I said I was gonna slow down. I, I I don't disagree with that. I, I don't I don't know how much their business will be affected. It's just scary. I mean, to think in normal circumstances, normal times the numbers and I think I threw this out one time. One the operator can only own one, and two, the average Chick-fil-A store 
does four times the volume of the average McDonald's. So, Jay, let me ask you, as a guy who's probably not selling a lot of glassware to Chick-fil-A, what segments that might be sit-down type wine serving uh, segments or cocktail serving, what kind of uh, segments do you think are going to uh, do well post-COVID? I think, obviously, the, the chain business, and we're all rooting for that to come back. I mean, whether you're staying in the Marriott or whether you're going to uh, Texas Roadhouse or places like that, I, I believe the smaller guys that survive and the smaller mid-level, upper-level fine dining restaurants are going to do really, really well. I think those people, I think people are looking to support local operations, guys like the paddock that we talk about a lot with John. I think everybody will do well once it opens up. I, I, I'm rooting for the little guy. I think little privately owned, high-quality restaurants that give great food, great service, and keep it clean. I think the one of the biggest innovations, and this is just my opinion, the, the, the things that are going to come out of this whole thing is the way restaurants provide cleanliness in their operations. I mean, I'm already yep. seeing dramatic changes to that, and I don't think you can ever go back. I was sitting at, at, at this restaurant we talk about all the time, and a- after we were done, we were there like around 3.30, so they weren't really, really busy, but they had probably eight or nine tables going in the restaurant. The minute that you got up, they not only cleaned your table, they cleaned the tables, the chairs, they cleaned the floor around where you have eaten. I think that that's that kind of cleanliness and, and preparation of the of the operation to present that sterile as sterile an environment as they can is here to stay. If if not, their people are crazy because. And I think that's a very good point. And I, we've talked about uh, another thing quite a bit is that municipalities, the rules that they have uh, become more lenient about, like cocktails to go and uh, sidewalk dining and. Is that going to stick around? Well, I don't see any reason why it shouldn't. These municipalities had these rules against it for noise, for cleanliness, and for traffic, and all these things, and for alcohol abuse. And they found out, hey, it works. There hasn't been, for the most part, any problems. So it's good for the operator. It's good for tax collection. It's good for the guests. So I really hope a lot of these changes that were brought in just for COVID actually stick. Yeah, I, I, and I also think too, uh, Jay. You touched on the hotel segment just for, just a second ago. And I, I think that the the boom, if you want to call it a boom, is going to happen post vaccine. I tend to think, like Greg, it's going to come probably in the back. Most of it's come in the back half of the year, but I think tangibly in the back half of the second quarter, we should start to see some really uplift in in the food service business. I think we'll see movement, again, tangible movement that we can all see that suppliers can feel that reverberates back through the supply chain on things other than janitorials and, and, and paper goods. I think that'll happen in the second quarter, maybe in the late second quarter, uh, post the NRA scheduled time and all that. And I think it's going to be dr- driven by rest the restaurant segment rather than the hotel segment, because I think the travel component, I think is going to going to lag a little bit. And uh, I just, uh, I see hotels struggling through most of next year, although you may not be as noticeable because you're going to, when money's committed to a hotel, as you guys both know, they got to go forward with a hotel, uh, or at least the, the structure in the building. They don't have to open the hotel necessarily. Anyway, I, I think that restaurants go first. And when we were talking about coming out, I, I still believe that glassware is always going to go first in terms of when we talk tabletop items, glassware first, dinnerware second, and flatware third. In this segment of uh, hospitality, I think you'll see restaurants definitely go first. And, and Jay, I, I'm with you. I'm rooting for the local guy, like the paddock you, you mentioned. And, and I think... Others are too. They're just looking for 
good quality food that feel, they feel comfortable and safe in. One segment that's interesting to watch too right now and that's still doing okay is the private country club business. And I, I think it's because... Yeah, that's booming. There's no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, I think it's because people feel safe there and they, they're already, they already committed the money. They got, I got to go there. I gotta, I'm going to get charged $200 a month or $1,000 a month or whatever it is. And I'm going to go there anyway. But but also behind the restaurant, the independent restaurateur, you'll see chains grow because I think there's a pent-up demand, like uh, Greg, you mentioned. And then hotels, cruise ships, airlines, all that stuff uh, is going to come afterwards. I, I, I really do. Yeah, the hotel business, I mean, think about it. We all go to a show. What do we do? We're all gonna, let's, let's meet at 7 o'clock at the bar. We'll have a drink before we go out to dinner. I mean, if you can't sit at a bar in a hotel, and, and sometimes if it's just normal travel, you're just going out to work with your reps or do whatever you buy yourself. So you get on. I, I don't want to sit at a table by myself in a corner. I want to talk to the bartender. Okay. Here's a question for both you gentlemen. Tell me the menu concepts and the type of food that you think is going to, going to really take advantage coming out, going to be really rocketing forward in, uh, in the culinary trends, if you will. I know Nancy touched on a few, but do you have any other thoughts, Greg? Well, I, I, I know a lot of people in the industry really hate the word ethnic because what is ethnic? But I'm using it as authentic items from various parts of the world that tend to be easy to make and very flavorful. And I don't use this disparagingly. It's basically peasant food. What it is is like people that don't have very much money or very much means buying the ingredients they can, which tend to be simple, low cost, and making them as good as they possibly can. Like mama used to make. Uplift them. I mean, if we just, I mean, here, an example in the United States might be um, gumbo. And, you know, it's basically whatever daddy shot that week went into the gumbo pot and you put, you know, your roux and your spices. It couldn't be any more low cost or easier to make. But it, it's, it turns into something fantastic. That's good for the operator, and it's good for the guest. And the guest is looking for all these type of different authentic. Uh, Jay, what do you think uh, in terms of uh, style of food or anything that may be able to take advantage of? I agree with Greg, but I think we were doing a lot of that anyway. Oh, yeah. Will it increase? I think probably. But I also think the farm to table, fresh grown stuff, like our the friend up in Maine we talked about, who focuses hard on that stuff. I think the meat and potatoes, I think the steak business is going to be better than ever. The high-end seafood business probably be really good as well. And like Nancy uh, Cruz was saying, that the, the implications for tabletop are a lot more kind of communal dishes, casseroles, large, large uh, ramekins, and cast iron. Cast iron. She, she clearly says that cast iron is going to be it. Which fits perfectly into this whole communal, for lack of a better term, peasant type food. One culinary uh, trend that I think I like, and maybe it's just wishful thinking on my, my part, is authentic Mexican, not Tex-Mex, but authentic Mexican, because I think it speaks to, it's uh, a little bit adventurous, but not so adventurous that I would be afraid to try a great Mexican restaurant and a Rick Bayless type Mexican. Uh, I know he does a lot of authentic and, and back to that word authenticity. So I, I'm really looking for things like that. And yes, we'll use that word ethnic, but real authentic, whatever you you think is uh, a close, but still a little bit of an adventure. Uh, I like that. With that type of concept, what could be easier for operators than pot roast wrapped in a banana leaf? Which is you know what would be kind of typical for parts of parts of Mexico or avocado leaves, and that's totally new 
for a lot of guests. And that's then if it's a new experience and it's delicious, turns out to be delicious, easy to make, served communally, served in the vessel that it was uh, made in. I mean, it's a win win for everyone. Yeah, and on, and on a regional basis here in the U.S., this uh, the beer of craze has been drinking regional beers and doing this. I think people are going to eat regionally too, and I and I think people are looking for that. When you go to New York City, I, I want to go to a great Jewish deli. I mean, I, I just I want to have that experience, and 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 the food is phenomenal. And yes, the menus, you know, it's like an encyclopedia, but that's okay. It's all going to be great. And so I th- I think there's some regionality that goes with that gumbo you mentioned. There's a good one. Uh, underlying all of these things so i think is that idea that we we want to connect with other people we want to do it in a restaurant setting or a communal type setting and i and i'm really looking forward to that yeah i think outdoor dining around the country i mean it's always been good in the beach towns but i think it's just going to be overwhelming yeah just get the, you know, that whole thing and people are looking to get the hell out of the house but <laughs> well, i think people are starting to realize it's it's just great outside you know what i mean yeah yeah when we go into next year Greg, I want to I want to call on you now. I'll give you a little uh, surprise question. I, why don't you tell the folks about one of the unique guests that we have lined up from the great state of Nebraska? The, yes, I'm very excited. We have a guest coming, folks, and Greg has researched this thoroughly and found this gentleman, and I think people are going to be surprised. I was shocked. I spoke with him. He's fabulous. Greg, this guy invented a concept. That it's so it's so simple that it almost seems unreal. And I, I was wondering what the catch was. And I actually flew to Denver from Chicago and drove six hours to the Panhandle of Nebraska to visit him. What he does is he creates kits for greenhouses that can be heated for just a dollar a day. And like, again, it sounds too good to be true. And this is obviously way off of our normal path, but it punches a lot of the buttons that we want to talk about, about producing food locally, producing high quality food, perhaps producing exotic, quote unquote, exotic foods that you can't get normally. And producing them year round. Year round. So because the the issue is, and I'll be quick, is that we have the soil and the sunlight in this in this band of the country to grow citrus indoors, but we haven't been able to because of the cost of heating the greenhouses. Well, he's come up with an idea that heats it, like I said, for just a dollar or so a day. It's just amazing. I visited him on October 16th, a year or two ago. In Nebraska, and there had been a snowstorm the day before, and we were in his greenhouse eating uh, nectarines. It's a, he's an amazing guy. His name is Russ Finch. If you Google uh, terms like oranges in Nebraska or greenhouses in the snow, you'll see some of the videos about him that have come out in all over the place. And some of them have actually um, had like literally over a million hits. Just a fascinating guy, and we're very uh, pleased that he's going to be uh, on our Is he selling a small greenhouse? Is that what he's doing? He's selling the kits. So what you do is you you buy the land, and it's basically a, a semi-truck shows up, and you just put this thing you put this thing together. I won't steal his thunder. Uh, he'll explain it all. But I was out there. I actually kicked the tires, and I have actually visited – Several other locations around the country where people have actually put these up or are in the stages of putting them up. Uh, for example, in, in Columbia, Missouri, 
It's it's amazing. It's a, you keep on thinking, why don't I get this? We'll, we'll we'll touch on a lot of examples, but one example he has, and I believe it's in Montana, where some guy uh, bought several of these, and he's growing nothing but figs indoors because Montana. And this feeds right into our story is uh, people may not realize how much fine dining there is up there. So he's supplying figs to all these food service uh, operations, growing figs in the um, winter in, Mo- in Montana. You know, again, punches a lot of the buttons that we talk about, and it's going to be very exciting talking to him. Yeah, I'm always excited when people are so creative and so innovative. And in this case, he's harnessed the sun. And right. that's unbelievable. Well, have, you, have you guys ever seen that thing? That you can, I think you can buy them at Kohl's and you can get them online. But it's it's a it's an herb garden that you put on your kitchen counter. Have you seen that? Oh yeah, I, yeah, think, yeah. I think it's called Chia Pet. No, <laughs> <laughs> not the Chia Pet. No, yeah, you, I keep telling Sandy we ought to get one, and she does. Well, where are we going to put it? And it, I guess they come in different sizes, but you can literally, I mean, for herbs, which you know, I'm not sure you want to grow lettuce because you you know take a while, but it, you'd have fresh herbs year round. They have different seed packets for the for those right, cartridges. Right. You can grow herbs. You can grow you can grow greens. You can grow tomatoes. It's got a system that tells you when the water it's under. I guess ultraviolet light or something. It looks pretty it's called cool. Cannabis. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Listen. Any last thoughts before we uh, wrap this show up? It's been a blast. Let's keep it up next year. Yeah, uh, we got a lot of stuff we're looking forward to. We've got some great guests lined up. Greg just told you about one that's really unique, and and we, we're going to continue to bring you thought leaders and give you our opinions. And we're really one thing I want to say before we close out the the last show of 2020 is how grateful I am to all our listeners out there. They really the notes and the emails and everything that come back. Uh, you, you guys are awesome. Like Greg said early on in the show in this episode, if you've got some thoughts on people that you'd like to uh, or subjects uh, people or subjects that you'd like us to explore, let us know because we'd love to do it. We're interested in getting thought leaders on here and bringing relative, relevant information that you can put to work, go to work with. So anyway, I want to wish you two guys and everybody out there who's listening a safe and a healthy and a prosperous new year. Thanks so, everybody. Happy new year, guys. You too. Great. This episode of Every Other Thursday has been brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than nine years, Tabletop Journal has been covering the global food service and hospitality industry, all the while raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. TabletopJournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places, all in the world of hospitality tabletop. You can learn more about Every Other Thursday by visiting our website, EveryOtherThursdayPodcast.com. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Every Other Thursday.